Sometimes faith can feel as cold as winter, and it can look as dark as winter too. I grew up in the cold in Wisconsin, so I understand being physically cold. But I also understand being spiritually cold, feeling distant from God because of depression, because of sickness, because of friends dying. I feel distance from God often, and I used to fight those feelings, but now I embrace them, and I sit with them. Winter Faith has become my new home. So I created the Winter Faith Podcast because sometimes faith feels like winter. I just hit the record button. So yeah, I just wanted to talk to you um, a little bit about about your book. And yeah, I just, I really enjoyed it. I like talking to authors a lot on my podcast. And so um, yeah, we'll just kind of get into a, a couple of questions I wrote down if that's good, good with you. That sounds fabulous. Yeah. So um, one of the, um, I guess when um, I was reading a little bit about your bio is um, you're really passionate about children's spiritual formation, um, which I am too, being a dad of two kids. <laughs> um, um, and just thinking about, I was thinking about like my eight-year-old um, and what might, like, what would spiritual formation look like for an eight-year-old and, and what would be you know, what's important about it, but I think more importantly, like, what does that look like? What are the things that the parents can do? I think that might be helpful to my audience. So we're not live or anything, but people that listen have a lot of kids, so. You just froze, so. Oh, I was, no, I'm back. But it might, it might be my connection, you know, that <laughs> it's, it's hard to say, but. Yeah, I know, I know how that goes. Yeah. Well, I think, I think we're good now. Yeah. Yeah. Answering your question. Um, the spiritual formation of a child is um, just as complex and complicated and um, beautiful as spiritual formation for adults. And I am not a professional in children's ministry or, um, or pastoral ministry more generally. Um, my experience is mostly just being a mom and, and um, working with children in, in church sometimes as a volunteer and um, observing over the years the things that, um, that served my children well, the things that really nurtured them as they were growing up. So um, the normal things of being involved in a faith community and in a, in a community that, that does give attention to children and um, where, where the attitude is positive toward them. I'm really blessed now. I mean, I don't have a small child anymore. My children are um, soon to both be in their 40s. <laughs> um, but I am blessed to be in a congregation 
here in Chicago in my neighborhood where um, little children are welcome in the service. And if they make noise, um, then, you know, parents are, of course, we're all responsible to take care of our children, but, um, but nobody turns around and glares at them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, um, their participation and their presence is very welcomed. And I can't tell you how many times little children have run up to the front um, and started dancing during the music or, or um, participated in other ways, just spontaneously wanting to be with their, with their parent who is speaking at the mic at the moment. Um, and they are not hauled away, you know, they are welcome there. And so um, I think that's, that's a very basic thing is for children to be welcome in church and um, to know that, um, that Jesus is for them, that this isn't just something for grownups. Um, yeah, I love that. Yeah, and at home, there's so much because, of course, just day-to-day -day life gives you opportunity for so many conversations. Um, if we are alert to um, what our children are thinking and feeling, then we can uh, relate that sometimes to our own experience and talk to them about how um, God has been faithful to us um, in, a, in a struggle that we might have had when we were their age. Um, but a lot of it is um, accepting and validating what they feel. Mm -hmm. Of course, you're not going to express empathy with uh, active empathy with a child who's having a temper tantrum. <laughs> that is that that would actually be counterproductive to the child because what the child needs is calm, you know, calming a calming presence um, who will help them, um, reg, you know learn to regulate themselves and, and just find out that they can control themselves. And that's very empowering too. Um, but in a situation like, um, like Isaiah, the child in my story mm -hmm. and his mother, um, when she finds out that he's feeling anxious um, at bedtime, then uh, she is able to just receive that and actually help him to articulate what is what he's worried about mm -hmm. and they're pretty big things you know um the family finances and a lot more a lot of children live in uh homes that are economically insecure and um well first of all we don't see that a lot in children's books and i think it's a shame because yeah. it's real and children notice and absorb their parents um worries about things uh, mm -hmm. probably a lot more often than, than parents realize. Um, but then, of course, the, the heartbreak of, of a broken marriage where, um, the, where the, the father is not living with the family mm -hmm. and the, the, just the conflict with, the, with his older sister, who's a teenager. Um, so, so he identifies, and then he's also worried just about himself, about his ability to sleep. And... Um, I'm a person with uh, whose sleep is fragile. And so I can really identify with that as well. Um, because you worry about not sleeping and that adds to the possibility that you won't sleep. You know? Yes, yes. <laughs> it's, a, it's a vicious cycle. Um, 
So, so validating and validating their feelings, acknowledging them. And even if, even if the fear is misplaced, it's a real feeling and um, we don't need to persuade our children out of their feelings, but what we want to do is help them to bring their feelings to Jesus mm-hmm. and to learn how they are loved and cared for. And then they are able to, um, to um, move through those difficult feelings and be, and, you know, progressively be free of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know so that, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, um, I was just going to say there's, um, in terms of uh, spiritual formation, I am a huge advocate of bedtime conversation, as well as reading, maybe singing, um, Mm -hmm. prayers. Um, I have so many memories of my children um, who you know, we were, we were not very financially secure for a long time. And so um, for part of their childhood, even though they're a girl and a boy, um, they shared a room, you know, bunk beds. And um, so, especially when they were together, I had some amazing conversations with them where they would just blurt things out that maybe they had talked, that they had talked with each other about. And this was a safe time, you know, they're, they're, um, <clears throat> Their guard is down at bedtime. If you've if you've made that a cozy and safe time for them, mm-hmm. and they are often willing to say things just before they go to sleep that they wouldn't say during the day, it's really it's really remarkable. Um, so I even though it's time consuming and of course um, parents are really busy and I I don't want to put it as a burden on people, but if it's if it's at all possible, it's just really wonderful for your children to have that time with you um, right before they go to sleep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. One of the things that I've, I guess, also found interesting is, you know, you're talking about kind of anxiety and mental health and and kids. Do you feel like the, um, is, are we at a time where um, church is more open to talking about those subjects in your experience? Um, church talking about these subjects, I think um, it is still, it is, it is still, um, it's, it's maybe too soon to say. <laughs> I think that, well, that yeah. in the culture, uh, in the culture at large here in the U.S., um, there is more openness. Um, sometimes um, some of my friends who, who, you know, have struggled long-term with anxiety disorder um, will post about it and um and then they you know they find out that there are so many others who are also struggling with it um in terms of bringing that into church it's we still need to grow in that area i believe i do in my church um it's not that mental health per se is the topic of sermons but um but for example my pastor who um, has noted that she sometimes struggles with anxiety herself, um, invited me to read Isaiah and the Worry Pack for our church service. And it actually um, was read in the place of the sermon that Sunday. We have certain Sundays when um, 
whatever the sermon presentation is, is shortened because um, all the different language groups, we have several languages in our congregation, but we're all together and it's a communion Sunday. And so um, all the children are there so that, so the sermon needs to be shorter. So I, I read the, the book to the whole congregation and um, the children were nearby, but of course the adults were listening too. And I've been told over and over again that, um, that the book serves adults and struggling with their own worries and anxieties. Mm-hmm. So um, even though, you know, we didn't say this is a, or this is a presentation for those of you who struggle with worry, um, you know, it was, <laughs> it was um, acknowledging that struggle and um, offering this, this form of prayer to bring it to Jesus in a very felt, um, I would say even visceral level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I got a lot out of reading it. Um, you know, I read it first by myself and then our family read it. And I think that it's true. It, it connects with, with adults and children. And I love the idea in the story of Jesus coming and taking the work, not just like carrying the worries or taking the worries off and holding that burden, but actually burden, but actually doing something like the planting of the trees and the trees having fruit and the wor- the worries become something productive. I guess that was something I hadn't thought about and want to think about more, but could you give me maybe insight in what you were, um, what you were trying to do? And the illustration is, is really great too. Oh, the, the uh, illustrations of the book are so beautiful by Pamela yes. Rice. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Andy, I'm going to, um, I'm going to tell you that this, uh, this story was an experience. I mean, it's based on an experience. It's not word for word, the experience that I had with my son when he was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And it really happened like this, where um, we went through this um, imagined um, encounter with Jesus together. And yeah, I mean, we're sort of, um, we're sort of um, introducing a spoiler here <laughs> about, how the, <laughs> about how the story ends. But yeah. <laughs> um not an explanation involved so um jesus uh takes takes the worries which um have shrunk down and um physically um in the imagination in the imagined state they look like um seeds like peach peach bit size seeds and um he tosses them out and then later after a conversation with um with isaiah uh, then isaiah notices that there are some little trees spouting over across the way and and jesus tells him that those are going to be fruit trees jesus does not explain what that means Mm -hmm. Um, and and we didn't receive an explanation when we had that um experience but um I'm a poet, and so I guess maybe in some ways I'm more open to um, open-ended ending than uh, maybe some people are, but um, the promise of, of that experience was for my son that, yes, his worries weren't meaningless, 
and they weren't stupid. Mm. They arose from love because he really cares. He really cared about the people in his family. Right. And, um, and therefore, um, God can turn them into something fruitful. And, you know, there's a transformation that's promised. And again, it's not, it's not specified because, you know, I think we didn't know at the time how they would be transformed exactly. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you that um, both my son and my daughter who um, have gone through, you know, they went through their own struggles, but they, um, they grew up to be uh, people of great commitment and faith. And, and, and they are followers, of, strong followers of Jesus, very committed. And I learned from them. Um, and um, so I guess what I'm saying is that uh, I believe it did happen. My, my son um, is a father and he's, um, when he was two years old, the first time what he wanted to be when he grew up, he said, without hesitation, a daddy. Mm. And um, he has his heart's desire in uh, being the father uh, of um, uh, a beautiful 10-year-old child and a stepfather and also a step-granddad now. Um, and, and he has, you know, his uh, warm relationship with his father. Um, and um, let's see, what else is he worried about? <laughs> He was, he was worried about, um, about the conflicts between his sister and me. Um, and it wasn't so much because, um, it wasn't so much because, um, of personalities. It was really, um, because his sister just had a lot of anger that was very expected, very, um, normal for a child who had been intensely deprived. She was adopted um, after, after spending uh, six months, her first six months of life in an orphanage where she almost starved to death. Mm-hmm. And so she was severely neglected as well as, um, as uh, malnourished and, and lacking any emotional bonding during that period. So um, it's just normal for a child who has suffered that intensely to have you know, to act out in various ways as they are growing up um, and trying to, it's hard to be, it's hard to become, it's a lot harder to become a person when you haven't had that original, you know, direct bonding with a parent or, or a caregiver who's, you know, very committed to you. So yeah. anyway, um, she has grown up to follow Jesus and to be uh to do ministry among children and youth herself. Mm. And she understands the, the kids who act out and struggle because she did that too. Mm-hmm. So, well, so the, yeah, the idea is just that, that there's some kind of fruit that's going to come from it and we can't foresee what that's going to be necessarily. But um, I think it's um, the, the story ends in a kind of open-ended place where um, Isaiah finally is sleeping. We don't know what the, what the, um, transformation will be but that's something that a a child and a parent could talk about as they Mm. finish the book you know what what do you think might happen you know that would that would be good in Isaiah's life um, you know as Jesus takes care of his worries yeah and I think it's a good thing 
um, just saying, you know, it's a good opener for what are you worrying about today? Because, um, yeah, it's just such a good family. Our, our family will ask a lot of questions around the dinner table. Um, and uh, I just think that's a good, a good question. And the fact that, yeah, the worries are not meaningless, that there's a purpose to them. I think for me, that was kind of uh, eye-opening thought for me because I, 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 I just I haven't had that thought. Like I'm worrying about something because I care about it. Um, and that, that definitely comes through in the book. And I, I do, I do agree that it's, you know, it's unique that, you know, thinking about finances is not something you see in kids books, but we've gotten questions like that before. Um, and yeah, just, a, just about your family. Cause, um, you know, with, with, um, step or with step families or with, um, you know, adoption, like there's, there's a lot of things that kids see maybe a lot more than we think. And they probably do have worries and questions that we don't always think about. So I think your book opens up a lot of possibilities and I love the open, the openness part of it too. Um, yeah, I just think there's some really, really good things. So I really, I'm really grateful, uh, that I was able to read this and continue to read this with, with our family. Thank you. And I, um, I just want to affirm that it sounds like you have established that kind of openness in your family with the questions and the, um, the ability for your children to, um, to really say what they're thinking about and uh, or mm -hmm. what they um, have experienced. Yeah, so I mean, part you... of spiritual formation too, you know, and to, to ask good questions and invite children to reflect on, you know, their experience. Yeah, I mean, you read some of the Old Testament stories or New Testament stories, and yeah, I, I definitely have a lot of questions. So when kids are able to just be like, wait, what happened? Somebody just got swallowed by a fish for some reason. <laughs> There's, you know, it's it's pretty interesting or, you know, all sorts of stories. So, and we don't always, that's, you know, explain them. And I think sometimes being more willing to just listen to questions and not get so offended or think we have to have all the answers or anything like that. But just like you said, to be able to affirm what those questions are and, and let, let kids sort out what they're feeling about something. And that's probably a more honest relationship with God that, that we can do as adults as well. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, um, I think that when children express worry, then a lot of times our impulse is to try to fix whatever the problem is. And of course, sometimes, and sometimes there is a very practical thing that can be done, um, but uh, it's really not a good instinct to, um, to try to just make them stop and just make them stop worrying, you know, um, just to rebuke them for it or something. You know, of course, scripture is full of, the phrase do not fear and and there and there are places where it says you know don't worry about anything and that that um that that verse from um oh now i'm now i'm pulling a blank on where that one comes from from the, Just one of the, the sermon on the mount oh this is from philippians do oh, not worry okay. about anything but oh, okay. in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be, named, be made known to God from Philippians 4. Um, that is in the back of the book. 
but um, mm-hmm. but that that phrase "do not worry" um, is not. Um, it's an to me. It's an invitation. It's not a rebuke. Yeah. It is. Right. It is saying. It is saying that you can. That we can bring. And because it says to pray, it says that we can bring those worries to God. And um, so that that um, posture of invitation, I think, is what we need to take with our children. And um, some people say that that fear. Um, a worry is sin. Um, I don't believe so. Um, in itself, I I believe that God, um, you know, built in our instinct to to be fearful because it's um, it's a warning. It's a warning to us. You know, this is a reaction to um, something that is or could be dangerous, and um, so we are on alert and. Um, the problem is when we have, when we, um, have to stay on alert long-term, um, then it's not good for our bodies, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's a matter of feeling it and letting it flow through us, responding to it, to, um, to bring it to Jesus. And then sometimes we will get, you know, some direction about something we can do, um, to resolve the problem. Um, in, as we pray, or as somebody gives us good advice or something, but that doesn't come in a context of rebuke. It comes in a context of invitation and um, of calling us into freedom. Mm. So. Well, I think that's good. I think I'll, I'll um, kind of end it with that. And um, yeah, I just I, I'm, I haven't interviewed. Thanks for listening to this show today, everybody. I just want to give a few shout-outs. Today's music, the one and only Josh Cleveland. Today's artwork in all the Winter Faith, artwork and digital design, Dominique Montaigne. The intro was done by Scarlet Fox. And I am just grateful to be creating and editing this podcast. My name is Andy Frazier. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Winter faith podcast subscribe subscribe on all those platforms and also we are on patreon if you would like to support the show and also leave a review on itunes at the winter faith podcast thanks for listening and we will see you next week